Hi. Okie doke. Oh, it's time. We should go. Uh, look, I'm just... <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rizdal. This is What Do You Want to Know Wednesday. You bring the questions, we bring the answers. You can get your question on the podcast by leaving us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART or you can email us and we'll just read them at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Either way works. We can do both. Yes. All right. Let's get to our first question of the day. Ray in Oregon wants to know, quote, are SNAP benefits intended to meet a person's entire food needs for the month, or is it just considered mm. a supplement to those food needs? Um, why don't you go you ahead, You taking Kat. this one? All right, I'll, I'll take it. You know what? This is a very Washington you, thing. I'll right, do it. You do. Okay. It is. Okay. Uh, so first of all, a little bit of a refresh, refresher. SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Back in the day, they used to be called food stamps. We don't do that anymore. Um, but it's supposed to help people with low incomes buy food for themselves and their families by giving them a monthly benefit on an EBT card um the, that the card itself is actually what used to be called food stamps because they used to actually be little coupons and stamps but now it's in a, like a little debit card mm -hmm. and so a household's monthly benefit is determined by the net income of the household as well as the family size and a few other factors but back to the original question about whether it covers everything SNAP benefits are supposed to be supplemental, since hence supplemental nutrition assistance, mm -hmm. supplemental and assistance, not the whole thing. And so they're not supposed to pay for a household's entire monthly food budget, although some people need it to. The government expects that SNAP recipients are going to contribute 30% of their net income to paying for food if you have income. And there's all sorts of formulas for how that works. And the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities has this summary that kind of wraps our heads around it. Consider a family of three. If that family had no income, it would receive the maximum benefit of $740 per month. If it had $600 in net monthly income, it would receive the maximum benefit, which was $740, minus the 30% of its net income. So 30% of that 600, which equals $180. So they would knock that off the 740, leaving that family with $560 per month. Now, that said, the national average monthly benefit for a household of three is $577. But those benefits differ by state. And Craig Gunderson, an economics professor at Baylor University, told us that while the idea of SNAP is to supplement, the maximum benefit is, in theory, supposed to cover a household's monthly food expenses. But as I'm sure many of you can attest, having been to the grocery store, $740 a month ain't going to do it. Um, Gunderson's research for the Urban Institute shows that before the government raised the maximum benefit in 2021 during the pan worst of the pandemic, SNAP benefits fell way short of average meal costs. In 96% of U.S. counties, the maximum SNAP benefit would not cover your average meal costs. Then after the government increased that SNAP benefits, that percentage of places that 
the money wasn't enough to cover went all the way down to 21%. However, those pandemic emergency that boosted SNAP benefits have already expired or will in expire soon. And so a lot of people that had that benefit that maybe was enough to cover their food expenses, it's going down mm. now. And so um, it's probably not going to be good for a lot of folks. Yeah. And food inflation costs continue apace, you know? Yeah. All right. This next one seems to be for you. Rhonda Scott okay. tweeted this question for you. Okay. Uh, has anyone quantified how much business California does with Walgreens mm. yet? That's from that story we talked about the other day. Right. So this is because Walgreens has said it's not going to dispense abortion pills in states where, uh, first of all, it's legal, but uh, also in response to uh, letters from uh, about 20 or so Republican state attorneys general who said, we will uh, challenge you if you do this. And they cited a 19th century uh, mail law that, uh, in theory, would prevent Walgreens from doing this, in theory. Anyway, mm. here's the deal, and here's what happened, and here is my theory about what happened. So, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, and we are uh, an abortion-friendly state, right? We uh, provide women's health care, and we want women to be able to get health care, no matter what kind of health care that is. The governor came out when Walgreens uh, got in the crosshairs and said, we are not going to do business with Walgreens, and he did it on Twitter. Mm. And Right. And then when everybody noticed the governor of California, which is the biggest state in the union, as we all know, had said that the biggest state in the union is not going to do business with a major pharmaceutical company or a major uh, pharmacy company uh, and started asking questions. His office basically repeated his tweet in statements and responses to the press and did not answer any questions. So the short answer is no, we don't know what the state of California is going to do because the governor of California, much like, oh, say, a former president of the United States, <laughs> shot this out on Twitter without really thinking about it and now has to scramble to figure out exactly what it's going to mean. So here's what it could mean. It could mean that Medi-Cal, which is the state's uh, uh, Medicaid uh, arm, will not allow Walgreens to be a participating provider. It could mean the state's prison system, which has mm. a, a huge population merely because of our size and has inmates with medical needs, will not be allowed to use Walgreens as a provider. The answer is we don't know. And it's actually a political problem for Newsom because now he's going to have to put up a shut up, having made a big stink about this. But the details are still very very murky because he has not said what he's going to do and he has not responded to questions about what he's going to do. It's just kind of, we'll to, see. Yeah, it's going to Go be ahead, yeah. hard to do that from, like, oh, I can yeah. imagine oh, Walgreens suing, saying that we're being discriminated against for, yep. you know, religious or political beliefs or um, even, like, if their bid comes in lower to provide services and they say no like that, that just seems like a big legal mess. Yep. But, um, yep. Yep. We will and and also, sorry. Yeah. Bureaucracy is real here too, because you better believe that the medical computer systems, which talk about, uh, where you're allowed to get your prescriptions filled and the California mm -hmm. Bureau of prisons, just for example, computer systems, which talk about filling prescriptions do not talk to each other. Oh, so yeah. somebody help me figure that one out. Right. It's hmm. Newsom has made himself a mess. Right. It, it's it's going to be super challenging. Super. Well, challenging. so did Walgreens. <laughs> well, well, oh, my goodness. And, and you better believe all the rest of them, like the 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 CVS like, and all that are happy to sit back and just say go, a word. All you pal, all you. All right. Anyway, next question. Here you go. Hello, make me smart. 
This is Ryan in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. I'm hoping you can make me smart about why cold coffee is more expensive than hot coffee. For example, at the nearest <laughs> Starbucks, a 12-ounce hot coffee is $2.65, while a cold brew coffee is $3.95. Same ingredients, right? Why the disparity in price? Thanks for making me that, smart. That is balls. Let me give the caveat. I'm going to answer this question, but full disclosure, I am not a coffee person unless I'm in dire straits. And as as my very good friend back in Missouri likes to tell me, coffee is not for you, Kimberly, because oh, that's fine. I how, wait, how come? How come? Does it just make y'all jittery? All jittery, bouncing off the walls, like just really oh, high strung. I All remember right. the okay. first time I had Turkish coffee when I was living in Egypt, I was awake for two days. And, um, wow. <laughs> wow. and, and like, it gives me the shakes and everything. So if you see me drinking coffee, just know it's, it's a real bad situation. But yes, out of the way. Um, anyway, to answer uh, Ryan's question, many coffee shops will say that making cold brew just costs them more money than making regular coffee, and therefore they're charging you more. So for starters, cold brew requires a different brewing process, uh, which takes a lot longer than brewing hot coffee. So with hot coffee, you have the coffee grounds, you drip water over it, or you squeeze it down, a little French press thing, whatever you're doing, and then you get the coffee, fine. But with cold brew, those ground beans are soaked in cool water for 12 to 24 mm. hours, mm. and that creates a coffee concentrate, and then that's what they use to make the iced coffee. Also, iced coffee gets served in plastic cups as opposed to paper cups, and they can cost twice as much, and then there's straws, which you use for iced coffee that you don't use for hot coffee, because that would burn, uh, and the napkins and things, and all those extra bits and bobs add up to a higher cost for each drink. Plus, oddly enough, and this was interesting in the prep that I didn't know, the ice that goes into each cup increases the cost because a lot of smaller coffee shops don't have mm -hmm. ice machines ice because machines. why would they? And so they right. end up either having to rent an ice machine out or buy an ice machine, although those are getting cheaper. Why do I know this? Because I recently looked at the cost of ice machines because I throw a lot of parties, but whatever. Um, they <laughs> 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 I did not buy one. I did not buy one. Not saying I won't. I'm just saying I didn't. Um, but anyway, a lot of these smaller coffee shops don't own ice machines. So they have to rent one or buy one or buy ice from the store. And all of that, again, increases costs. However, not everybody believes this argument about the disparity in price, that it makes that yeah. much of a difference. In a piece for Vice, they did an interview with the professor Markham Ellis, author, author of coffee house a cultural history and they said that coffee chains know that cold and iced coffees are in higher demand during the warmer months of the year so they just charge more for it and so some people apparently in order to save money on iced coffee they order regular coffee with a side of ice but if you try this it's probably not going to taste the same as the iced coffee because again it's not that coffee concentrate it's just going to taste like watered down coffee watered down and coffee. There's also the option of making your own cold brew at home, the way that our wonderful in, uh, intern Antonio does. Uh, but 
and he says that the real work there is just the stirring and the waiting. And the added benefit then is that you can drink it whenever you want because it keeps a week in your fridge. But I will take Antonio's word for it because if I have it, nobody's going to want to be around me. <laughs> True story. The first time I had iced coffee was at some hipster place down in the Arts District in, in Los Angeles. And I was like, yeah, whatever, fun, mm. I'll have an iced coffee. So I asked for this iced coffee. They get it for me. I pay my, you know, five bucks, whatever it was. Took a sip and I asked them if they could microwave it because it was just terrible. <laughs> Terrible. And they, of course, but, said, no, I can't microwave that. Shut up. But doesn't it's, that it's make horrible. it gross if you microwave iced coffee? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I have a, there, there is a, what, maybe the top domestic dispute in my house, and I should say we have a very peaceful uh, relationship, my wife and I do. She microwaves mm-hmm. her coffee in the morning after the first cup gets cold, and I'm like, oh, God, no, no. No. You can get her one of those keep warm cups that has a little plate that you sit it on and it keeps it warm. Yeah, she like walks around with it. Yeah, no, I just I'm 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 happy to let her uh, do whatever bastardization she has to do on her coffee, but it just kind of grosses me out. I'm a coffee purist. All right, time for the last question of the day. You're trying to you're like I can see you scanning back through everything you said. <laughs> bastardization is the question I was wondering. This is the word I was wondering about. Gotcha. <laughs> we can cut all that out. That was just me being curious. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I didn't have coffee today. All right. Time for the last question of the day. Uh, so Kai and I love to talk about space and space exploration. So Kendall wrote us this question. Have you watched and are you fans of the Apple TV series For All Mankind? Kai, you recommended so, this to me. I, I, I do. So you have not watched yet, right? I have not, no. Okay, so I don't have to worry about spoiler alerts. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it. It's an alternate history of the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union. Um, uh, there are three seasons out. I am on, I've finished season two, so no spoiler alerts. Thank you for anybody on this Zoom or listening. Um, <gasps> it's really good. I really, I really like it. Um, and it's one of those where, you know, you order Apple TV for a month, you pay your 10 bucks, and then you watch all uh, 12 episodes or whatever of the season and maybe some Ted Lasso and you move right along. It's really good. I think it's really, really good. It's really good. All right. I will really add good. it to the list. Um, did, did you see uh, or hear perhaps this morning on, on uh, uh, Morning Edition the story about the 3D printable rocket? No, I didn't. So there's this startup that has made a 3D printable rocket. It's 110 feet tall. It was supposed to launch today, but they had this scrub for some reason. It's called Terran, mm-hmm. T-E-R-R-A-N-1 is the name of the rocket or is the name of the, hmm. the program. I, forget. I think it's Relativity is the name of the rocket company. Anyway, yeah, 3D printing rockets, which to me is just wild, just wild. That's pretty cool. Anyway, it was a cool story this morning. So let me give, let me give the, the cross-corporate plug here for Morning Edition. Yes. Uh, well, well, while we're doing plugs, I'm going to do my own. Yes, there you uh, go. Because yes. if you are enjoying the cool stories that we bring you here about space, about coffee, apparently, mm-hmm. and all manner of other things, um, it's because of listeners like you, and we really appreciate your support. And we are committed to have committed to having a very diverse newsroom that represents the public that we serve and. You know, I can't help but mention today is International Women's Day, and it's not just on our staff that we think about being representative of all genders and 
diversity and all of its wonderful, glorious forms, but also in terms of the voices that we amplify across our platforms, the sources and the experts that we reach out to from underrepresented groups. I mean, we've talked about your weekly rap, Kai, and how it's got mm -hmm. this lineup of women that you would never hear from or see in that way in a lot of other news outlets. And uh, these voices are often really left out of business and financial news, and we really work hard to do that, but we can only do it with your support. So if you are able, in honor of International Women's Day and in support of the inclusive journalism that we do at Marketplace and at Make Me Smart, we would really appreciate that donation. You got to give them the URL, marketplace.org. I was handing that off smart. to you. Oh, is that, is that me? <laughs> that was supposed to be a handoff marketplace to you. Marketplace.org slash give smart, please. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Jake. Jake. Radio professional. Lordy B. That's right. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Today's program was engineered by Jake Cherry. Intern and coffee cold brew aficionado. That's right. Antonio That's right. Barreras. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed ooh, our theme ooh, music. Ooh, our acting wait, senior. Sorry, what? I forgot. I forgot. I saw Ben today. Ben came by the office. <gasps> he looks great. He's having a good oh, time. Fantastic. He's got two kids now. His baby is six <gasps> months old. It yeah, what? he's he's doing great. He's doing great. Oh yeah. go looks ben. exactly the same. Yeah. He's a, he's such a good guy. Anyway, he I saw is him. Sorry. Well, he helped yeah, along totally with Daniel Ramirez to compose our theme music and our acting senior <laughs> producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast and Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And we have way too much fun on this show. We do. <laughs> we all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey from experimenting with alternative medicine I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.